Thank you, Daryl. Good to be with you. Well, you know, I was thinking this morning, and I was 16 and um, living in the San Francisco Bay Area around uh, Berkeley. And I was at a place in my life where um, I had experienced a lot of success in some areas like sports. My life seemed to revolve around that. And, but I reached a place where it was ironically as a result of meeting some of the goals that I had and the dreams that I had about athletics that I recognized that something was dramatically missing. I grew up going to church. It was a church that was a, um, well, it was an interesting kind of experience because it, it just was, um, I guess I didn't really know what a church was. And I, I didn't necessarily come out of there with any clear sense of what it meant to be a Christian or what it meant to be in a church. Um, I had uh, solid values, um, things like that, that were very um, important to me. But what happened when I was 16 was that when football season was over, suddenly there be I became aware in a way I had never been before of a, of a major hole in my life. I couldn't identify what it was, um, but what I would re later realize was that it was my hunger and yearning to be in relationship. And what I didn't understand is that probably what I loved more than anything else about football was the fact that I was on a team. I was in a community with other people and participating in something that I had some talent in. But <clears throat> what scared me was that when football was over, there was a big sense, there was a hole for me. I didn't have a place where I belonged. I didn't have a family that I grew up with that sort of felt, created that need that we all have for connection. And so today, I want to talk about the fact that, you know, my faith, there, faith is a developmental journey that we go on. And when it starts, my exposure was to a youth ministry called Young Life. Most of you, I'm sure, are familiar with that. But it's just a very simple message, really, isn't it? It's just sort of like we all have this hunger to be loved and people are offering the opportunity to, be, to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I, I don't, you know, I think back on that and I wonder what I understood or, you know, <laughs> theology or whatever. Uh, I don't think any of that really mattered to me. I mean, I was so hungry to be in relationship. We're designed to be in intimate relationships. It's our, our wiring. And the church has so much power to be able to offer people the opportunity to be in a community and to have life-transforming relationships. But if you're like me, you recognize that just because we're human beings or even because we uh, have placed our faith in Christ does not necessarily mean that we have the, the, the tools, the skills, the ability to be able to, to really have transformational relationships, relationships that result in our lives being changed and other people's lives being changed. And so this morning what I want to just talk about is some of the, some of the, the dynamics, the characteristics of, of what really makes relationships intimate. Transformation happens in the context of intimacy. And when we think about it, our, our relation, you know, we look at the garden, we recognize that everything began when Adam and Eve were in relationship with God in the garden, right? They were, they were walking and talking and working. And I don't know. I, don't, I have no idea. Every once in a while, maybe I get a little glimpse of what that might be like, but there was relationship. There was intimacy there was authenticity. There was truth, genuineness. And we know that as a result of you know, the decisions that were made, the, that, that context, that relationship was, was broken, and we've been on that path now, all of us, to get back to that level of intimacy and authenticity in relationships. And so... For me, the thing that I'm finding is that these relationships require skill. They require training. They require practice. But they require us 
being willing to have the courage to really know ourselves. And we love to, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming we all share the love for seeing people's lives transformed. And we're accustomed to seeing people's transformation as a result of hearing the truth of Scripture, feeling the Holy Spirit, you know, touch a person's heart and guide them and change them and do whatever. But I think sometimes we're missing out on the power of just the transformation that comes from our relationship person to person with someone else. And I think sometimes in the ministry we place too much emphasis on, on speaking and teaching and some of those things when the trenches where I, I, what I find life really, really makes it or breaks it is in how are we in the moment with each other. So we have been created, we have a hunger and a yearning for intimacy with one another. Um, intimacy is a state of being wherein we feel seen and known. And intimacy requires another relationship, doesn't it? It requires a, a sense of, of mutuality. And when that openness and intimacy was broken in the garden, what entered? Well, it was shame, wasn't it? It was shame. And shame is the antithesis of love. What they experienced that they, I don't know how they would have known anything else. It was just what they grew up with, with Adam and Eve. What they were experiencing was this kind of intimacy and connection. And there was no shame. So I'm assuming it was just love. Shame enters, and now we're hiding from each other, aren't we? So what happened when shame entered into that relationship is people began to isolate, and they began to hide from each other. And then they began to finger point, right? And then the next step was blaming. Nobody wants to be at fault. Guilt comes in. People are feeling uncomfortable about what happens. And we see the pattern. And in our relationships, the same thing that same thing happens. And love is the antidote for shame. And what we have to recognize is that most of us as human beings and all the people that you minister to are living with trying to deal with shame and probably not understanding how to tap into love. And so the human ways of dealing with that horrible feeling of shame, that fear that there's something wrong with me, that if you knew who I really was, that you would not want to be in relationship with me. I think that's the worst human experience. The fear of rejection, we all live with that. But the way we cope with it usually is to try to defend ourselves, to justify our position, and to blame somebody else. Blame, shame, justification. And so some of what I want to talk about is that these are the natural experiences that we are going to have in every relationship and we have with ourselves. And as we learn how to deal with those and learn how to identify it and acknowledge it, then we can move. So we look at 1 Corinthians 13. I, bear with me. I know we're all familiar with that passage. But we know that love is never going to fail. We know that even the, the greatest gifts that we are given, that we receive and exercise, those are going to fall aside. But notice what he says when he says in verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I felt as a child, I thought as a child. Now that I've become a man, and I'm thinking that to be a mature adult, I have put away childish things. Now we see in a mirror darkly, then face to face, now I know in part, then I shall then shall I know fully as I was fully known. We have within us this craving, this hunger to be mean, to be known, and to be seen by each other. And then he says, now abideth faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And then we see Jesus come in, and Jesus tells us that love now is not a concept, is it? 
He said that he was the way, he was the truth, he was the life. He was the manifestation of love. It isn't a concept, it is a relationship, and a relationship that we have with each other. And what 1 Corinthians 13 reminds us of is it is a developmental process that we are going through. We begin as children. And that what we are doing is we're constantly, the, what, the process that God has set in motion is that we are in this process of developing and maturing. And that what I am suggesting that I, I, I'm sure we all have recognized in our lives and our ministries is that transformation happens in the context of authentic and intimate relationships. It happens as we are seeing each other face to face, as we are in each other's lives. Faith plays a critical role in that development, doesn't it? Richard Rohr says this, love is the true goal, but faith is the process of getting there, and hope is the willingness to live without resolution or closure. Love is the goal, Faith is a process of getting there. So we, we don't need faith when we have certainty, right? We need faith in the face of mystery. Younger people in the spiritual process of development feel uncomfortable with the mystery. They feel uncomfortable with the unknown. And so there's a natural tendency to want to explain too much, have too many answers. And as we mature, we become more comfortable with all that we don't know, right? I mean, we, we, we learn to recognize that, of course, I'm going to be in that situation where I don't have that answer. When you're younger, you want to find the answer. You love those questions. And you research and you talk with your pastor or whoever it is, and how do you answer this question? What does the Bible teach about that? And that's all a beautiful process. But there comes a point, though, where, where you have to recognize that faith takes over. And it's the willingness to live in the mystery and the willingness to, lead, to live in the unknown. And we go through stages of development. When I initially was 16, I wanted to belong. I wanted to be a part of something that was greater than myself. And that lasted for a while. I was a Christian. I was born again. It was the Jesus movement. It was Berkeley, one way. I mean, it was kind of exciting. And we even drove around and you'd, you know... Do the one-way thing, you know, when you see someone, you know. But then what happened is that then what I wanted to do is now that I was a part of the community, I wanted to set myself apart as an individual. And I moved in that direction, developing myself as an individual. I, I worked at, I learned to play the guitar so I could try to be a worship leader. That didn't last very long. That was, and then I realized, oh, the big thing now is to be a Bible teacher. So I started studying the Bible because that's what I wanted to be up front. Those were the people that got attention. So I wanted to just be a part of things for a while, and then I wanted to stand out and develop myself as an individual. Normal developmental process. We become a part of the tribe. We establish ourselves as an individual. But then what we need so desperately today in the church is mature leaders whose maturity is manifested in their willingness to have intimate relationships with other people. Not just to have great minds, present wonderful sermons, all those things. Those are all important and fabulous. But I think where transformation happens most often is in the trenches where you and I are in relationship with each other and the challenge for me is to be authentic. Intimacy demands authenticity. And before we can be ourselves, to be authentic, we have to know ourselves. And sometimes I think there's a, a mistaken you know, uh, belief that paying attention to ourselves is going to result in becoming like self-absorbed. And what I found is that it is imperative that I know myself and see myself in order for me to be able to see you. Have you noticed that in your life? As you go through experiences and you learn something about yourself, you can see so clearly when somebody else is going through that same experience because you have been through it. 
And so the challenge for us is trying to be, what does it take for us to be able to know ourselves? And thank goodness for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, right? In searching our hearts and exposing that. But one of the things that I have seen is there, is, we, there are so many times we miss the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to speak to us through other people in terms of being in a relationship where you're close enough with someone where they can speak into your life. We're pretty good in the church at encouraging each other. Right? We like that. We like that. You know, it seems like it's positive and we're supportive and we do those things. That's very important. But I, I suggest that sometimes it takes more courage to give somebody feedback or invest in them when there's something that's not quite right. Now, none of us want to, you know, being confronted or being challenged is uncomfortable always, right? I mean, it, it, it would be weird if you said, oh, I really love that. You probably don't love that. You might like the result of it in your life, but you may not love the moment where they say, oh, brother, do you have a second? And, oh, boy, you know, or you get the email, could you call me pastor? We like the result. The thing is uncomfortable. Yet, do we have a vision for recognizing the more clearly I see myself, the more I can identify where those gaps are in my life that interfere with me being able to really manifest as completely as possible Christ in me? And that if I don't know myself, really, how can I begin to be authentic? In, in authenticity, we strive to be genuine. And authenticity really, in my mind, is transformation happens through intimate relationships. For our relationships to be intimate, the first principle that we need to follow is to make authenticity, being genuine and being ourselves, a priority. Our tendency, our natural human tendency, out of our fear of being rejected, is that we act and we put on what we would call in psychology a false self, the image of who I think you want me to be, who somebody else wants me to be, who my parents wanted me to be. The there's, in a sense, though, it's very important that we don't make our image bad. We use it as a source of information. So I feel like maybe the circumstances, I feel like there's something I need to share with you, you know, maybe something that happened and you hurt my feelings or something like this happened and I want to talk with you about it or something. But I don't want to come off as critical. I don't want you to think of me as judgmental. And so in my mind, what do we do? Well, we come up with a justification, right, a rationalization that allows us to probably proceed in the way that we are most comfortable. So I say, well, you know, maybe it would just be better that I just, you know, pray about this and extend forgiveness and grace and just trust in the fact that he's, you know, moving in that right direction. But what we need to be able to do is to be able to talk with ourselves about that. And like if we use a principle like we could say, is that authentic? Is that genuine? Am I, is that really something that I am doing that is genuine? Because what I would suggest is, it's a if you're like me, it's a risk. It's a risk for you to go to another person and tell the truth. It wouldn't be as big a risk if your truth was, I want to affirm you for the incredible job you did last night, that, you know, that you're, you're going to them. But it might be a much greater risk, it is for me, to go to someone and say, maybe you hurt my feelings. You know, this broke down, this happened. But if we will do that, then what we can do is strive to deepen our relationships and live in integrity. Now, integrity I see is wholeness, not perfection. I like the concept of integrity being whole and complete. And so our challenge in our relationships are for us as we make a commitment to be in integrity, to be whole and complete, then what we are going to need to do is to make it a priority for us to know ourselves. And for us to be able to know ourselves, 
we are going to need help from each other. So I want to, I'm going to give you some tools. Some of you may have seen some of these things before. But one of the things that I use, it's called Johari's Window. And you think, where did Johari come from? Well, it's actually two researchers, Joe and Harry. So they couldn't figure out what they were going to call it, so they just blended their names and said Johari's Window. But a very simple tool that explains what is it that happens in relationships. And if we look at it, I think of it like a window. And, and this is how it works. So where you are, what you can see about yourself. So this is about knowing ourselves. Because our premise is, for me to actually be able to have a transformational life, the more transformational it is, is going to be a function of my authenticity and genuineness. For me to be genuine, I need to be, I need to know myself. And so what I know about myself and what you know about me, or you can see, is, is a square we call open. It's an open square. You see it about me, I see it about me. Now there are things in my life that I know about myself that you cannot see. And those are things that we call private. So if you and I are going to deepen our intimacy, our connection, at some point I am going to have to choose to share with you some of the things about me that you aren't going to know on your own. That is a tool for deepening relationship. And so we have small groups, we have different kinds of formats where we can do that. Now, the things that you can see about me that I cannot see are things that we're blind to. Now, this is where it is absolutely imperative that we have relationships with each other where the context of the relationship is that I am relying on you, I have enlisted, I have enrolled you to be a source of this feedback for me. There are things about myself that I cannot see. If you do not have people in your life who are speaking this truth to you, then we are limiting our capacity and the speed with which we can be transforming. So I think it is imperative for us in the church to be increasingly setting up places where we can be learning how to do this more and more effectively. So the scriptures say, speak the truth in love. And so a lot of times when people come into my practice, they'll say, well, you know, give this person feedback. Well, I don't want to hurt their feelings and all this kind of stuff. And I say, hey, let's just do, start with the first part. Speak the truth. Just trust me on this. Speak the truth will help you with how you can do that more lovingly. But if we start with speaking the truth, It'll be much easier to help someone maybe soften it a little bit, help them in their timing, whatever it is. So if I am going to know myself in order to be myself, I am absolutely dependent on you in relationships. And what I would suggest in this, my experience has been, is that often my growth and transformation has been most accelerated when I was willing to put myself in those situations. And I saw a dramatic change happen when I sort of got out of my study and I got into group settings where people would give that feedback to me. It's very, very helpful. Now, what I cannot see about myself and you do not see about me is what we would call the unconscious. And the unconscious, the areas of our lives where you do things, you don't necessarily know why you do them or why they happen, somebody else doesn't see them, those things happen all the time. And what you want to watch for in your life and in the lives of others are patterns. Patterns help you understand when there's a deeper level of unconsciousness that's affecting your life. So who's going to be able to help us with that? Elders. People who have walked a little farther on the journey, they're a little ahead of us, who have experienced something. They learned about that part of themselves. 
There are all kinds of ways that the truth can be revealed to us. But this is a very powerful tool for being able to help us because in this situation, this is where it's so powerful. Maybe you'll be in a, in a service where, you know, I've had this experience where someone, you know, has a word for you, a prophetic utterance, something like that, and all of a sudden you just think, oh my gosh, I didn't even know that. Once they said it, I, it made sense to me. But that these are the powerful things that can happen, and we can develop our capacity to be a resource for helping each other with that. So knowing the truth about ourselves is critical. And what I say in relationships is we talk a lot, an awful lot about orienting to the truth. And so authenticity demands a commitment to the truth. And a lot of times what I have found that's very important is that we make a distinction between sort of like um, objective truth, uh, propositional truth, and personal truth. Both are important. And each of us knowing what is the truth of what's going on in our heart is very, very important. And the method that we do that, one of the ways that we do that is being in relationships with other people that we have empowered to be able to both give and receive feedback. This model does not work if it isn't mutual. Right? A fundamental thing is, is that this is, this is a, a reciprocal model where I am willing to put myself in the line, you're willing to put yourself on the line, and both of us are willing to speak into each other's heart. So I think of truth. Oh, oh I, was, I wanted to talk about orienting. So orienting to truth. This is one of the things that we talk about. We say, well, that's kind of weird. Well, we talk a lot about living by principles. Well, a principle, I think of it like in the early days of, of the infantry. They would always, I th you think it's funny when you see these movies and they think, why in the world would they have some, one of the soldiers carrying a banner? You know, can you imagine the guy being picked to be the guy that carries the flag? I mean, wouldn't you think everyone's trying to pick him off? I, I, I mean, that's who I'd want to go for. I'd want to knock their flag down. And it's like, why would they waste those resources? Well, the thing that we learn is that in battle, when they did that kind of combat in that, in that infantry setting, a lot of times people would get disoriented. It would just turn into a, you know, it would be very, very confusing. And so at some point, what they would do is they would need to know where's their group, where's their team, and they would look around and they would look for that flag. That flag was for that particular division to be able to know where's their center, where's their hub that they can get back to. I love that metaphor because that's what we're doing with truth we're looking for where it is the scripture is a tremendous source of truth but so are each other I think we miss that opportunity you know to just ask each other what do you think what's your opinion come to them with issues that struggle whether it's people in your congregation your staff your family your kids whatever it is there are so many resources for us that are available but what we want to do when we get lost is we want to have resources that allow us to be able to orient to what's true and to be able to find that. How do we orient to the truth? Now, at CLE we talk a lot about the difference between two types of truth, head truth and heart truth. So the head truth is more conceptual. The head truth around, you know, it, it, it's more factual. The scriptures are a tremendous source of that kind of truth and those kind of things. But the truth that, that most of us have the most difficult getting is heart truth. And to know the truth of your heart, again, is greatly magnified if we are in intimate relationships with other people. And so those kind of relationships where people are willing to be vulnerable, say hard things and talk about that, but when we talk about knowing the truth of your heart, we use feelings. Feelings are the language of the heart. Now, in my training as a young Christian, I, we in the, in the community that I was in, there was a tremendous fear of feelings. There was a fear of experience because they felt that it would, you know, le you know lead to someone going out of control and going, you know, just doing something crazy. And so we would counsel, especially as young Christians, the counsel would be to, 
you know, seek counsel or look, look to the word. And those are all great ideas. But what I'm talking about is knowing what you're feeling in your heart. And most of us are much more comfortable thinking thoughts than we are feeling our heart. So we use six families of feelings. We use the acrostic sachet. Sad, angry, and scared. Happy, excited, and tender. Now, each of these feelings, these are families of feelings. There are other, there are other feelings that we can access, obviously. What we want to try to do is have people begin to understand that if you can articulate and know what it is you're feeling, that it has tremendous power in your relationships. But it's uncomfortable. It's unnatural for most of us. But like you take sad. These are families of feelings. Sad. When you think of sad, there's a continuum, isn't there? You, could, you feel a little down one day to, to maybe, you know, you might go through a period of time where you feel depressed. Um, from mild to sort of intense, those are all in the family of sad. Hurt is another aspect of sad. When you feel hurt, when you feel angry, you can be frustrated. A lot of times people come out and I say, oh, you're angry. And that's very uncomfortable. They would say, no, I'm maybe a little irritated. I'm a little frustrated, but I'm not really angry. And then we begin to talk about it because there's beliefs, there's there's a sense of, often a sense of fear, of guilt, of shame about being angry. Somehow we're not supposed to be. Now, I think what we see in Jesus' life and we see the teaching of Scripture is it's not that anger is bad, it's that it's powerful. And it can be misused, right? It can be used to hurt other people. But in and of itself, it's a very powerful emotion. And each of these emotions have information. They have a message, a truth, that is very important for us. How often have you been in an encounter with someone and someone has said something to you and later you realize it really hurts your feelings? But how long does it take before you identify it? Well, for me, it used to take a long time because I really didn't want to admit you hurt my feelings in the first place. But then what I find is that I don't really like you as much, right? And you maybe don't want to be around the person or something like that. It's had an effect. Whether I am conscious of it or acknowledge it does not change the effect it has had on my life. And what I would suggest is many, many relationships that we have are not as vibrant and potent as they can be because we are not telling the truth about what's happening moment by moment in our relationships with each other. We are not being as genuine and authentic as we can be. And for me, being authentic and genuine at that level involves courage because I'm taking a risk. I'm risking that you are not going to like me for saying this. You're going to think, you know, I've... I don't know. You could think a million different things. But is it not that we're called to live by faith? And can we be living by faith if we're not taking risks? I think one of the biggest dangers we have in the vibrancy of our lives is we sort of get comfortable with the familiar and we stop moving and risking. But if you're like me, these vulnerable expressions in my relationships with each other require faith. It requires courage for me. It's an act. It's a choice of my will to say, am I willing to call you up or say, oh, you know, this happened or this happened and it troubled me or it bothered me. I don't have to say you're a jerk or an idiot or something. But, you know, in our minds, a lot of us have these extreme fears around what would, what would happen with that. Um, so let me talk about another tool that we use. Is we call it the funnel of truth. And if you're thinking about relationships, hopefully in your mind, you might be considering some relationships that are a little bit more challenging for you where there are things that break down. 
And what I sort of discovered is this thing that, again, we said, we call it the funnel of truth. Now, I see of there being layers of truth. So there's level one, level two, level three, level four, and they go from being kind of head truth to heart truth. So you get in a situation with someone and they've done something, let's just say they made a comment that embarrassed you. And you come to them and you say, brother, sister, you know, when you said this at that, at, you know, at the, the, the table, where you sort of made that joke, I was really hurt and embarrassed. What are they going to say back to you? Well, they're going to say, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean anything by it. They're going to say something, right? It's like, oh gosh, now if it gets a little more confrontational, it's like, well, it's your problem. I mean, you're too sensitive or something. But usually in that communication, level one is always going to be something like an excuse, a defense, or a justification. Always. And what you have the opportunity to do when you get a vision for doing the work to go to a deeper level, so often stuff like this happens and if someone confronts, a lot of times what will happen in a, in a, in a, in a better out, outcome will be someone will just say, please forgive me, I'm sorry. Now that distresses me because something was going on in our relationship when you said that. Now if I come after you with shame, it kills the relationship, doesn't it? If I guilt trip you or if I use shame or do something like that, I, that's not going to be helpful. So there, there's a, a principle, a, a focus of responsibility that I need to have when I'm talking to you about this. But the vision I want to have is when we have these bumps in the road, if we go back to like Jahari's window, this is an opportunity for us to deepen our relationship. I know it's uncomfortable, but as we grow in our, if we get a vision for the fact that if, if maybe the gospel is most powerfully communicated through transformational relationships, then working on our relationships with each other becomes an ever increasingly important priority. If we are going to have dynamic relationships, we are going to need those relationships to be characterized by certain principles. Those principles include authenticity. And to be authentic with you, I have to be truthful. Not only with you, with myself. People who just love to go around telling the truth to other people, one of the reasons we don't like them is first, because it's embarrassing, Two is because they are not in the game working on themselves. They work on us. Not cool. That's not cool. Mutuality is something that keeps us balanced. So if we go back to this thing, somebody, I, I always like cringe when someone's too quick to say sorry. Because I want to go and I want to look at what's happening at a deeper level. What else could be going on? But now we have a problem. Because you are not going to be willing to play this game with me if you are too uncomfortable or too invested in maintaining your false self. Our false self is the person we'd like to be, the person we think we ought to be, not who we are. And so our false self is not true. It's not authentic. And my vision for a transformative community is a place where we can have relationships where we give each other that kind of truth and feedback in love, right? But unfortunately, a lot of people can say in love mean they think, well, you don't have to say it. Not true. It is our responsibility to each other to say it. 
If you are not uncomfortable in some of your more intimate relationships on a regular basis, I would suggest to you that you're not being as truthful as you could and need to be. So in this situation, we could go down and what we use, we won't go into it in detail today, but if you use feelings, if you use, for instance, the painful feelings, sad, angry, scared. So if we, like for instance, let's just say this order. What I would do with someone, I would look at something like this and I would say this. Sad, sometimes I, I throw in sad with hurt. So I would, I would talk to someone and I would say, so you kind of took that shot at me, it was a little hurtful and embarrassing. But what if we just played this game? What if I said, is there anything that might have gone on in our relationship that you might have been angry about? Anything. And if you'll do this, one of the things that will happen is that all of a sudden this person, it's like the lights will go on and they'll say, you know, that's interesting that you asked that. I think the other day when I heard that you went and played golf with Fred and that you didn't invite me, it hurt my feelings. I never thought of that. So you think you, you might have been a little angry about that. I might have been. So you think, okay, is there anything that you might have been scared about, afraid of? And then maybe he says, you know, I think I'm a, I actually think I might be a little bit afraid of, of how important you are in my life. And then we say, is there anything you might be sad or hurt about? And then maybe it comes out where he just says, I'm feeling a profound sense of loneliness. Do you know how many of us in the ministry suffer with a profound sense of loneliness? And then how do you talk about that? Are you filled with the spirit, Pastor? Are you, are you, you know, you having a quiet time? People are uncomfortable. We want to solve that with a solution. But what if somebody said, I'm having a profound sense of loneliness. And I don't know how to talk about that. I'm scared to do it. But wouldn't it be something if just that little shot, that little comment, that little something like that, if we had the eyes to see and the ears to hear and the tools to be able to take that, not to humiliate him, not to make him bad or or, or shame him or do something, but to deepen our relationship. If we could had tools like this and you were willing to practice that, you can learn this so quickly. And then all of a sudden you begin realizing the key to healthy relationships is expression. If you are not expressing, right? All of our doctors and everyone tell us, drink lots of water. Well, we go, it's hard to drink lots of water, right? You gotta go to the bathroom all the time. And it's like, well, why do they want us to drink water all the time? Because there's this process of flushing, of just cleansing us. And water, we know the symbolism. Water is a very important symbol for us as Christians. There's this renewing and cleansing. I would suggest to you the expression of emotions are doing that. I've been working with this a long time. This is, I was a very sensitive kid, but I was not in touch with my emotions. My hurt was very private. And in light of my athletic background and my size, different things like that, it just was, this was a very hard thing for me to do. It took me years to even be able to admit that I was scared. It was bizarre. I wouldn't tell you I was scared, but I live with anxiety all the time. I grew up in a home where there was physical abuse and it would happen episodically and I never knew when it was coming. And there was alcohol and all these different kinds of things. And I'm wondering why I'm traumatized. Why do I live as if, you know, all of a sudden I was reading all these things when I was younger about guys coming back from Vietnam. And they talked about the symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. I don't think we called it that then, but whatever they called it, that's what we say now. And all of a sudden I realized I did that. I had all those. That was scary. How could I have all those? How, how many times in uh, the middle of the night would I wake up with a night terror? A night terror is something that's beyond a nightmare. 
A night terror is something where you don't know where you are and you're living it. And what I would do to sue my wife is that I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would have, I would almost be hallucinating that there were people in the room trying to get me. And I would put my arm up like this. And, I, and you can imagine that wasn't any fun to wake up to. You know, and, and Sue would go, honey, it's Sue, your wife. You know, I, said, I know you're with them. I mean, isn't that bizarre? <laughs> I know you're with them. And, and then I would just, you know, she wouldn't say anything, wouldn't move, and eventually she knew I'd go back to sleep. But this was before that I had completely blocked out all kinds of things that had happened to me in my life. But the fact that I blocked them out did not change the fact that I was experiencing that. They were still having their effect. Each one of you and everyone in your life, in your sphere of influences, has these same wounds. We now have the tools to do this. Jesus, Jesus just did it. And he gave us the Holy Spirit. We have all the resources we need. But it's like, are you willing to meet people at this level of intimacy? This is uncomfortable. Now, my background is not charismatic. I, I love charismatics now. When I was younger, I was afraid of that. And I remember, you know, I was in a group of people. We studied all the things. I forget, you know... All these guys, I would study all the reasons why the gifts were, you know, stopped. And they're just scared. They're scared. They're scared of what? They're scared of their feelings. They're scared of the aliveness that is in them that they don't understand that we're supposed to live with something that is uncontrollable. If the power inside of us is not uncontrollable, we do not need to live by faith. We're just going to manage it and work it. We have to learn to live with this. Well, I would suggest to you, this is a powerful adventure. This is a powerful adventure for you to be able to touch your emotions deeply. And, you know, the thing that I'm finding in my life now, what I'm working on, is I have these moments where I experience what to me, you know, how do you put words to it? But it's like these little brief moments where I experience what seems to me to be like pure joy, pure peace. I haven't learned how to maintain that very long. But this morning I was driving and I was thinking about coming here and I was at this stoplight and all of a sudden I just had this pure moment of love where I just felt like I was loved, enveloped in that love. Now you know what I'm talking about. But you know, what I didn't understand before, because I was more God first, others second, you third, you know, that, that kind of stuff. And, and I thought magically that if I did that, that I could really internalize that love. I didn't find that to be true, and I worked that system pretty hard. But what I found is that when I made this commitment to have this courage to go this deeply into my heart and to really know what's true in my heart and in your heart, it opened me up to be willing to live at a level of risk I could never have imagined before. And I'm sitting at this stoplight and I'm thinking, you know, this is weird. You know, this is, this is absolutely like bliss. It's absolutely wonderful. But it was also scary. It was scary. It was exciting. It was wonderful. It's confusing. Do I deserve it? But you know what drives me more? is I want people to experience God's love through me. I want them to come up next to me and taste it, experience it, feel it. I don't really have to say anything, do I? They'll know there's some difference. And I think my capacity to do that has increased because of a willingness to be able to have the courage to look into it in my heart because there's a lot of there's a lot of pain in there there's a lot of upset and there's upset in the hearts of the people that are looking to you to guide them and we have the tools to deal with this we really do we really have the ability to do this and you have communities where 
emotions are more acceptable than other places. I mean, there's churches that many of us that might have similar doctrines that we believe in that we might go in and just feel constricted like there's no air in the room. What is that? That's fear. That's unacknowledged fear. That is people having deep experiences that they are unaware of. And so what do they do? They go to level one and they make excuses, they justify, they blame. I studied people. Earl Rodmacher, uh, the guy in L.A., the, forget his name, John MacArthur or something. And I'm not saying this to put these guys down. It does make me mad that they did this because I don't think they should have done it. But, you know, they teach these systems where if you follow this system and you follow this hermeneutic, you can be guaranteed that you will know the truth of God. Come on. They shouldn't be saying that. Doesn't that sound a little presumptuous? I think so. But what about the idea of just saying, so then you learn these things. I didn't understand these guys were scared, so they're developing a system because they're not willing to do this work to go this level. Now maybe they didn't know, but we know now. And so it is our responsibility because if we're not tracking our feelings, then we're going off in different directions doing things that may actually be doing harm instead of good. And so having relationships, having communities, having small groups, having you know, accountability types of relationships where you are with people who have the experience and the journey to help you see more clearly into your heart is vital and critical if we are going to have transformative relationships, relationships that are authentic and relationships that are genuine. Um, well, should, maybe we'll take a, I was gonna, uh, we need to stop. So, should we, do we take a few questions, Daryl? Do you want to, um, we can, or should I, we stop? I actually just got a text that they're ready for us in, in there, but. Well then, let's close. We'll have, yeah. quite, we can have questions yeah. at, at lunch. I just, um, appreciate Rich sharing this, and I think that, you know, the Bible's so clear about the truth setting us free and that God wants to come in and shine the light. And uh, a lot of times in, in a talk like this, questions in an, in an open forum can be a, a little intimidating as well. You know, you might want to just come up and do you have a minute to stick Absolutely. around before lunch? And, Absolutely. And so we're just going to cut your mic so it doesn't okay. get broadcast over the internet. <laughs> Somebody's hidden secrets or anything. Or maybe you're dealing with someone in your church, your staff, or things like that that, would, that this is really relating to. Or maybe there's a question about the... Uh, the sachet or Jahari's window or different things like that. And so we just want to make Rich and Sue available to you. And I just so appreciate Rich and his uh, investment in my life and, and helping me uh, realize what's going on inside of me a lot of times and uh, pointing out some things that maybe are hidden and that the Holy Spirit uses him to, to do that. Also, God's been using Rich in tremendous ways on the mission field as well and uh, specifically recently in Costa Rica and, and just exciting things like that. But um, thanks, Rich, for sharing with us this morning. Can we just say thank Rich for being a part of that?